Hello and welcome to Future Proof Folk, the podcast where we chat to fascinating people working on exciting projects which keep the folk music scene in England moving forward, growing and generally staying amazing. I'm Owen Ralph. Over the past few weeks I've had the pleasure of talking to a number of really amazing people working in different areas and considering different issues within the folk scene. But this week I wanted to do something a little different and take some of the ideas and issues that have come up so far and chat them through with somebody who is actually in the early stages of their music career and find out a bit more about their first-hand experience of these topics. And as such, I'm delighted to be chatting with Zoe Wren, who is an absolutely fantastic folk singer and songwriter. So in the first half, we're going to chat a bit about Zoe's practice and her career to date, also her experience with folk music and education before returning to some of the topics explored previously with regards to the direction of folk clubs and festivals, uh, bringing in larger audiences and diversity on our stages. So Zoe, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, pleasure. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself. Um, yeah. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am a singer-songwriter. Um, I call myself primarily a folk singer-songwriter um, because I guess most of my influences come from folk music, a lot of my parents' music, really from like the 60s and 70s. Um, and yeah, I uh, at the moment I've just been really busy kind of gigging as a, as a solo artist, um, also part of a more kind of Americana duo. Um, just, yeah, doing as much music as I can at the moment. Great. Um, and you're a songwriter as well, so it's a mixture of kind of traditional stuff and... Original. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I do, I do sing some kind of original songs, um, and then I do a lot of writing of my own material, which is, I guess, kind of influenced by by the traditions. But I also try and kind of keep it a bit current, and I have influences from all over the place. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's a bit of a, an old question to start with, maybe. But why do you do what you do? Because I don't know what else to do. <laughs> no, uh, because because I I love it really. I think I've when I was growing up, I was always. I was always playing music, I was always sort of singing um, in choirs, I played piano and guitar and um, I just sort of fell into the whole folk scene a little bit accidentally. Um, I just did an open mic at at Cambridge Folk Festival, just playing traditional songs because that's all I knew at the time, I was probably like 15 or something. And then a couple of people afterwards were like, oh, we we really enjoyed that, would you like to come and and do a gig as a singer-songwriter? And I wasn't a singer-songwriter at that point, but I was like, oh, that sounds cool, maybe I could be a (laughs) singer-songwriter. And just sort of started songs, and so I started writing songs and just kind of of kept going from there, and at no point did it really occur to me to not not keep going. (laughs) And and I think it's funny, because I had a lot of friends who were doing the same thing at the ages of sort of 16, 17, and then they all went off and, and got sensible jobs, and I just kept going at this, and I was like, oh... (laughs) <laughs> suddenly, suddenly realised that not many people that I knew from school and all of that were doing the same thing but um, I, I guess I just yeah I, I don't know what else I'd be doing because I just love doing this so much yeah broadly speaking you're quite near the beginning of your career yeah, you're just yeah. it's kind of building up a, an audience of following and things how how are you finding it in terms of um, doing that as your day job and kind of paying the bills with it and things in today's economic climate yeah I think I do feel that being part of the folk scene is, in many ways, a, a real advantage to an emerging musician because it's quite different from from the rest of the of the music industry in that you have these folk clubs and they're kind of like they have regular audiences and they're they're a bit more willing to take a chance and book an act who might maybe not be so well known but who they maybe enjoyed um, because they know that people turn up so. In a way, you're almost a bit more secure at the start of your career because of that, um, and it is it is a very 
you know, it has lots of peculiarities, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about, but um, it is a very inclusive and supportive scene, I've, I've found at least so far. Um, and I think that's a really nice thing. And, and you know, I don't, just, I don't just gig exclusively. I do, you know, I do lots of other freelance things here and there. I do a lot of busking that, you know, for probably half a year, that was my main sort of source of income. I do session work. Um, I do all sorts of different musical things. And I think as a, as a musician, especially as a sort of emerging musician, it's really important to have lots of strings to your bow, as it were, be able to be flexible and do lots of different things because that helps you kind of get yourself out there and you just have to take up all these different opportunities. Yeah, that does seem to be the way to do it, I guess, having a, a portfolio career, I suppose you could say. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you, so when you say you were busking, that was that's within London. Yeah. What's the, what's the London busking scene like? How, what's that, <laughs> what is that experience like? Because I used to busk in Cardiff a little bit. And it was very much a free-for-all. You could just do what you want. But I get the sense it's a bit more kind of structured. Yeah, it's not, it's not very much a free-for-all anymore. I mean, I started off just busking in Camden, which is where I grew up. I'd just turn up with my guitar and sing a few songs and hope for the best. But now I'm a, I'm a London underground busker. So it's, the, it's quite a, um, a sort of a rigorous process in applying and, and auditioning and getting your licence and then booking your pictures every week. Um, so in that sense, I found it quite nice because there's a bit of structure. I know that... I won't be fighting other people for my pictures. Everyone's very respectful of the rules. Um, there are some buskers who, you know, they've been on, they've been doing it for you know thirty years or so, and they're like, oh, I remember when you could just turn up, and there weren't all these rules and regulations. But um, for me, like busking on the underground has been such a helpful thing. Like I don't think I would have been able to to be a musician if it wasn't for that as my kind of extra income. And it's also just great experience. I think you know. You get to, you can try out songs that you know you're not sure you don't want to gig with them yet. So you try them out busking, see how people respond. You just meet lots of very interesting people, make contacts. I've had bookings through busking, all sorts oh. of things. So yeah, no, I, I love doing that. Because I think there's certainly among people who don't know how the music scene works. There's always this naive myth that you can go out busking and then suddenly you get spotted by some yeah. record label executive <laughs> and become a superstar. Um, obviously, it's not quite that simple, but it's it's interesting that you've you've managed to get bookings and things from it. Yeah, you know, nothing nothing huge, nothing life-changing, but every now and then you meet someone who maybe has a run the venue, or I got booked for a wedding the other day, which was really lovely, and you never know who's going to pass you by, and I do know people who've kind of been spotted by someone quite, you know, well-known, and maybe kind of ma- making a break through that, and I think, damn it, I'm just always in the wrong place at the wrong time, <laughs> but um, it's one of those things you just never know, it could happen, it might not, but it's all, it's all good, I think, it's all good experience. Yeah, so would you say busking then is still a really important I guess, training ground for musicians. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's strictly necessary. I'm not saying that if you don't busk, you you can't kind of, you can't progress to be a, a musician. But I think for me personally, it's been really helpful. I guess, you know, people do open mics and that's a similar kind of experience. Um, but busking is quite, it sort of toughens you up, you know? Like, <laughs> you can deal with, if you can deal with, you know, hecklers when you're busking, you can definitely deal with any crowd. Yeah. Not that I've played to particularly rowdy crowds <laughs> at, you know, folk clubs and all that. They're all very nice, really. <laughs> um, so you mentioned you started off by just playing traditional music. How, how, did, how did that music come into your life? Is that something you got from your parents or from elsewhere? Yeah, I'd say it, probably my parents were my biggest influence music-wise. I think it's kind of interesting because growing up in London, you don't necessarily have that kind of that sort of traditional folky scene that you might do if you grow up somewhere maybe a bit more rural where it's more part of, of a community tradition. Um, so I never really had 
that. I never had that kind of, um, I guess, geographical connection to songs. But it was, it was really just through through my parents' CDs that I listened to. I really loved, um, well, I still do love Joan Baez, and so I, I kind of would hear her sing songs and that I'd like, and then I'd learn them and had a book of her songs and just things like that. I think led to me um, singing lots of traditional songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of your songs are influenced by traditional songs. Like, what's it called? She is a highwayman. Is that yeah. The title of it? Yeah, t- retelling the story of Sove. That's yeah. a, it's such an interesting way you've written it. I think because <laughs> um, that, that song in particular, I think it's it's you get a real insight into who the main character is, Sylvie or Sove, or whatever yeah. she's called in the version. But I think you've kind of really gone into more detail in her as well. So was it the character really that drew you to that song? Yeah, I. So my last EP that I put out was very much based on taking stories from traditional songs and then kind of looking at them and thinking, you know, how can I sort of update this or make this a bit more relevant? And, you know, I don't want to change the original song, but I guess I'm kind of springboarding off it to write something new. Yeah. Um, and I really love um, the tale of Sove and the female highwayman because I think she's such a, like, badass female character. And you don't get that quite so often in folk songs. Um, but I kind of... I thought, well, what would happen if this if this happened today? Would would she go back to this man, or, or would she discover that she loves this taste of freedom and you know riding around on her horse, doing whatever she wants? Um, and you know, there's there's that interesting um, aspect of like cross dressing, which I think in folk songs is often quite kind of it's not really a political or um, personal thing. It's just a kind of fun thing that they add in. But what if she really liked that? And I think there's just so many interesting things that you can find in a song when you look at it with a more modern perspective. Um, so I just thought it was an interesting thing to explore. Yeah. So for you, would you say it's more important for folk song to be, or the songs you're singing, to be relevant to today's world? Or is it more about harking back to the kind of historical side of it? Or is it a bit of both? For me, I think it's really important to find a balance between the two because, you know, I, I think you've got to keep singing these these old songs because, you know, they're great and they're part of, of our heritage and our culture. And I think that's wonderful. But I think... I think in order to kind of keep momentum going in the folk world, I think it's really great to also respond to them from a more modern way because I think there can be this idea that, that the folk scene and the kind of traditional folk clubs can be... People can see them as quite sort of insular and, and maybe a little bit nostalgic. And I think... I don't think that is necessarily the case, but that's a lot often the kind of idea that people have of folk. So I think if you can make it a bit more relevant to people's experiences now... I think that can only be a good thing in kind of coupled with with the kind of traditional stories as well. Yeah, because I think for me a really important part of the, the definition of the word tradition is that it's something that is kind of ongoing and ever-present yeah. rather than like a historical performance practice. Yeah. It's always in the now. Um, yeah, I think that really comes across in your music. Um, okay, so going back quite a few years, thinking back to your experience in music education, um, which I've talked to a couple of different people about now, um, not thinking about folk specifically, but mm. just music in general. Um, what, what was your experience of learning music in school? Um, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think I think I had quite a good experience of of music in school. I mean, my my secondary school was had quite a big emphasis on music and performing arts. So um, there was a lot of opportunity to do, you know, to be performing as well as all the, the things in the curriculum. And I actually thought that my my sort of GCSE music course was really good. There was a huge variety of, of different styles and genres, you know. There was, you know, there was classical, there was, there was folk, there was um, jazz, pop. 
we looked at in kind of Indian rugs and all those kind of different things. I thought it was very well rounded and actually, um, actually, w really helpful and would make people want to explore these things more. Um, and I don't know, you know, with all the kind of the cuts that are happening at the moment, I don't know if that's if that's changed for people who are at school now, um, and that might be the case. Um, but I think definitely my music education was was really something that propelled me to kind of take it further. Yeah. And did you, were you given free instrumental lessons? Or, or I mean, were they available, you had to pay for them? Or? They were, um, I'm just trying to remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think at one of my schools you just had to pay for instrumental lessons. Another, because I was a music scholar, I think I got a free, a free instrumental lesson. But it's not something that was maybe widely available as it really should be, I think. Um, I think that is definitely a barrier. Yeah. Um, and did did folk as a genre come into it much at all? You mentioned that was a broad range of things, but was was English folk present at all in there? No, not necessarily specifically English folk. I think I'm just thinking of that one that one year I did in GCSE. Apart from that, no, I'll be honest, it didn't really come into it much. Um, and I, I went on to study music at, at uni, and again, that wasn't really present. Um, you'd kind of we did a you know we did the whole history of of music from you know, the medieval times to the present and folk music, especially English folk music, was really skated over. Mm. Um, yeah, my experience at university was very similar. Um, I, mean, there was, I think there was one module available for folk music and that was about it. Um, so I found that quite, as someone who kind of was already quite, knew quite well about folk music and things, I found it quite interesting having all of the different things to be able to, to pull on from my own experience. But I guess for anyone else... Kind of who wanted that chance to get into folk music, there wasn't really the the avenue open to them. Yeah, I do think that if you didn't already have an interest in folk music coming into either your A levels or your uni studies, you wouldn't really get into it from an academic point of view. I mean, I every opportunity I could, I brought it into it. So I wrote I wrote my dissertation about um, kind of women's voices in folk music, mm -hmm. um, and I was really lucky that I there was a supervisor who was very knowledgeable about that, even though he didn't actually do a course about it. So. In that sense, I was quite lucky, but I think anyone who didn't really make a conscious effort to pursue that would have totally, I think, missed out on that side of things. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about, about your dissertation. Sure. So, uh, oh gosh, it's it been a couple <laughs> of years ago now, but um, it was about, um, it was called something along the lines of voicing the unsung experiences of women in modern folk music, and it was about how um, kind of singer-songwriters who are influenced by folk music are able to kind of use different methods to either subvert or kind of make their voices heard in a tradition which is, I guess, still traditionally quite sort of um, quite male-dominated. Mm -hmm. And they're just the different ways that actually folk music can be really great as a vehicle for, for women and, all, and kind of all other different um, performers to kind of put across their own, um, their own stories and their own struggles um, yeah. <laughs> brings us quite nicely on to the next thing I wanted to look at. Um, what's been your experience of gender diversity in the folk scene? I think, um, especially recently, there are a lot more really prominent female performers, um, and I think that's a really, really great thing. I think we're still there is still an imbalance in who's getting booked for maybe bigger gigs and festivals, um, but I think the folk scene is is making is definitely improving in that sense. Um, 
interestingly, if you just, I think, I think there is also an imbalance in the audience. Um, I've, I tend to find that most of my audiences for gigs that I do are kind of, you know, men in their 50s and 60s. And I, I'd often wonder why that is, why I don't see more women at coming to, to see gigs and, and, and younger people as well. Um, so I think there is a, a bit of a problem with diversity and it's being addressed more in terms of the performers, I think, than the audiences. Yeah. Yeah, the audience is a really interesting question. As, as, a, as a young woman, do you think you get a lot of male audience? You know what I'm trying to ask, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I, know, I, know, I know what you mean. And the answer is, is I think, yes. Right. Um, I think, and you know, I don't think... I don't think the fact that there are a lot of older men who come to watch, you know, younger female performers, I don't think it's a kind of anything predatory or anything kind of intentionally bad at all because most of them I'm, I'm you know, I'm mates with and we chat and they're all really nice. But I think there is that tendency just because in the general music industry there is just this um, this focus on, on women's sort of appearance as well as their musicality. And I think that always, that's something I always feel a bit uncomfortable with because people are always like, oh, you know, you sounded lovely and you looked lovely. I'm like, well, why does that really matter? I mean, obviously, I w- I'm a performer and I want to present myself visually as well as, as musically, but I think it's something that, that people put more on female musicians than males, and I, it always makes me feel a bit funny when people say that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an interesting issue, I think. Um, so what, what the thing about the folk clubs in general, you, yeah. you mentioned at the start that they've been like a really good support mechanism for yeah. young musicians. Um, yeah, what do you think of folk clubs in general? Are they, are they still relevant today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I think there's a, there's a bit of a difference between what people who haven't been to folk clubs might think that they are. They might think that they're kind of these very old-fashioned and, uh, you know, maybe not interested in politics and all those different things. But actually, when you go to them, you, you know, there's a lot of really... People are doing really interesting things musically. People have lots of forward-thinking ideas and... I found, for the most part, and for the most part, that the folk clubs I've been to have been really, really interesting in that sense. So I wish that kind of more people would experience them just to see that. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's not the case everywhere, but I think for the majority, that's definitely been my experience. Um, but I guess, I mean, I've been talking to a lot of people recently about, you know, how do we get younger audiences coming coming to folk clubs and folk gigs? Um, because there's so many performers who are younger, um, which is great, but but they still bring in kind of older audiences, and we want to kind of get a mix, really. Yeah. Um, and I found there's been a correlation between gigs that I've played where the promoters have been young people, and that those tend to bring in younger audiences, as opposed to folk clubs, which have been going for years and are run by you know by older people who've been doing it for years and are incredibly experienced, but they tend to bring in the older audiences, and I mm-hmm. think that's. I think if we want if we want to kind of bring in younger generations, I think we need more young people actually promoting folk and you know setting up folk clubs or putting on events and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, quite topical issue at the moment. I think um, EFDSS has just published some kind of research on young yeah. people and folk clubs and things. Um, and certainly, in in my experience, having talked to people of our sort of age. Um, People seem to really enjoy sessions, and that's what they're really big on. You know, mm. you get a lot of university students, people and things going on to tune sessions, but there just doesn't seem to be an interest in folk clubs in particular. So, do you th- do you think it's that that the thing of getting younger people to organise them? That's the that's the key. I think that is the key because I've been, you know, 
I've done quite a few gigs which have been, in terms of the music and in terms of the performers, no different to the kind of traditional, um, very experienced folk clubs that I've played. But yet you'll have a room packed out with, you know, students or people in their 20s, as well as, you know, people of all ages. And I think that is because the people who've set them up and run and kind of run them have... I don't know, have those contacts and seem to, it just, I don't know what it is about that, but that for me seems to be the key thing that, that makes that difference. Yeah. I guess it's a, if you've got a younger promoter, it's probably a slightly different environment. Yeah. Because again, something else that came out of the research that Eftis did was um, that people don't always feel comfortable in those um, situations, particularly mm. if they're kind of significantly younger than everybody else who's there. Um, yes, yeah, so it's just creating that that environment where people feel able to come and able to kind of enjoy it in the way it's meant yeah, to be, I guess. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's one of those really interesting topics at the moment, I think. Yeah, there's not, there's not a kind of a clear answer, is no. there? <laughs> um, I'm thinking about festivals as well. I, mean, mm. I, I guess you, you play quite a lot of festivals. Um, yeah. Have you generally had quite a, a positive experience of those? Yeah, I mean, I haven't really played any of the, the huge festivals, so I guess my experience is more of the smaller folk festivals. You know, I mean, I did, I did Cambridge Folk Festival like, last year, which is not, not a small festival yeah. by any means. Um, but I, personally, I've kind of, yeah, I've not really run into issues at, at folk festivals. I think it's something that, you know, that can happen um, and probably will at some point. But um, I think just the, the balance of, of who's on the bill is really the main area where improvements kind of can still really be made yeah what what would you say to the the assumptions some people have that it's always more risky to put female performers higher up on the bill that's just a complete myth I don't know why that's seen as a risk to be honest I don't know what's risky about it I think it's just this idea that the kind of the standard status quo is having you know male bands or performers and you know you get this idea like oh we've already got some a girl band or two we don't need another one well, well why I think you have to unpack the reasons why people make these assumptions I don't think it's I don't think it's based on any kind of reality that translates through to the audience because there are so many really successful female performers that have really dedicated fans I don't I don't I don't think that that really translates like that yeah um so think about your career again and where I guess where you want to be headed at the moment, what would you say is the biggest thing that's holding you back and, I guess, other performers of your generation? I think, for me, I feel like um, I'm having, you know, a, a moderate degree of success on the kind of, on quite a sort of grassroots level, and I really enjoy that. But I think, for me, it's like, how do I kind of get through to that mysterious next level, whatever that might be, um, and is that... Is that harder when you're in folk music um, because it's maybe not so sort of recognised in the wider music industry, um, and there are kind of certain, um, I guess, people have these idea of these ideas of limitations when you're seen as like a folk musician that you know that you might not be suitable for the radio or for bigger stages and, and things like that. So I guess yeah, for me it's just like how do I progress um, at the at the sort of to the level I would like to. Yeah. Do you, do you identify quite strongly with that term of folk musician or can you take it or leave it? Oh, I don't know. Um, I think I started off very much influenced by folk and although I think I'm kind of moving, in some ways I'm moving towards other genres but in other, in other senses that is always something that I think will be quite important to me and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, you know, half the songs I write are, in inverted commas, folk because 
well, it depends how you define folk, doesn't yeah. it? It's quite it's quite a broad term. Um, but I, I still I still like to have that there because I think it's very much how I started and a lot of the music that has influenced me. Um, so I, I don't think I'd want to ditch that label, no. <laughs> um, yeah, because I think a lot of a lot of performers, again, of, of our kind of generation, are very much kind of on the borders of it at the moment. You know, they're doing a little bit of traditional stuff and kind of some writing influenced by traditional things, but also writing songs and kind of making recordings, which could easily fall into kind of other genres, acoustic pop or yeah. whatever whatever label you're most comfortable with. Um, yeah, do you, th- do you think that, that kind of blurring of, of genre boundaries is going to be an important part of moving people onto that next level? Or is there kind of the infrastructure in the folk scene to, to make that progression? I think they could be. I definitely think they could be. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the kind of the crossover between different genres is a really interesting space. And I think there's a lot being done with that. So in a way I'm quite intrigued to see kind of how that how that progresses because I think I think maybe in the future that will be a much bigger thing um that kind of because so so many musicians that I speak to when you ask them oh so what, what do you play that what kind of music do you play they're always like oh I don't know how to describe it I don't know what labels to put on it and I think that's more and more becoming a thing because I guess we just have so much access to so many different kinds of music and people are like oh well, why would I want to pigeon myself into only doing one thing and you meet you know you have collaborations with different musicians so yeah, I think that's definitely going to become more more of a big thing. I mean, it already is. Yeah. Um, and what are you doing in the near future that you're particularly excited about? Um, well, I'm. I've just kind of. I've been writing songs for a, a full like a full length album because I've put out um, two EPs in the past, which have had sort of five six songs. Um, but I really want to do a full length recording, which I guess is a bit more of a sort of this is what I do and. Uh, I think it's just nice to have a, have a kind of a bigger body of work like that. Um, and I've taken quite a lot of inspiration just from my experience as a busker, actually. So some of them are kind of stories um, from from busking or about those kind of, the kind of themes that I've come up, you know, like things like homelessness coming up a lot when you're a busker. And there's that kind of that weird relationship where people think you're homeless, but actually they treat you quite differently to, to actual homeless people and, um, and just things like, like I've been, you know, you get you deal with all kinds of rubbish um, as a busker and I've written a song about that as well and also the great things that happen because there are you know all the wonderful things so that's been quite um quite a big theme for like the songs that I've written and I guess it's kind of it's kind of like a a sort of ode to London in that sense um so yeah I've been I've been writing these songs and hopefully we'll be um recording them very soon (laughs) Zoe Ren thank you very much thank you Thank you very much to Zoe and to you for listening. I'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with another fascinating guest. This podcast is produced by Greenwoodside, an organisation dedicated to having more conversations about where the folk scene is at and where it's going. If you want to share your thoughts on anything you've heard in this podcast, you can drop me an email at podcast at greenwoodside.co.uk or find me on Twitter at greenwoodsideuk or look up Greenwoodside on Facebook. Please do leave a review of the podcast in iTunes or whatever app you are using. And to find out more about any of this, please visit greenwoodside.co.uk.